0: Well, good morning, Redeemer family and friends. Thank you that you are here with us today. I want you to know that you are uh, loved by our great God, the great I am today. And I am excited to see what the Lord teaches us today. If you are a guest, you are dearly welcomed. Um, we would love to connect with you. And so, please, if you haven't, fill out a connect card so we can get to know you and connect with you and um, serve you today. And so, I, I want uh, you to think with me uh, today. And so, I-, I want you to think back as-, as you look back and ponder some memories in your life. And I want you to ask the question Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you uh, given a gift to someone that you were so excited about, and they were like, eh, thanks, uh, but, but you, know, you, you knew, you were hoping, but you knew they just didn't get as excited about the gift as you thought they would. Um, have you ever planned something, uh, maybe an event or a special time with a significant other or a friend, and maybe you were just trying to be nice, and, and the person just misunderstood you? Maybe uh, they thought you were uh, uh, interested in them, and you weren't. Uh, or maybe you were interested in them, and, and they didn't get the clue, um, and, and the thing or event uh, wrongly made them think you were not interested in them. Um, have you ever been misunderstood? Uh, have you ever misspoken or said something coarse or rash or, or just rude or just plain dumb? Uh, Maybe uh, when you were trying to look cool or smart, uh, maybe you tried to say a joke and uh, and it just didn't land, uh, and you got those judging eyes like, really, dude? Like you would say that right now? (laughs) Um, or, Or did you just say that? And you felt so judged and so misunderstood. Maybe you've taken a stance on a particular issue, and you just could not articulate your stance right in that moment. Maybe it was political or theological or philosophical or some kind of conviction or wisdom you learned, but you just could not communicate it accurately. And uh, you were actually misunderstood. You see, Jesus throughout the gospel of John and highlighted in our text today was misunderstood a lot. Uh, Now, was Jesus a bad communicator? Did he not say the right words? Did he mess up with his communication? You see, we're all sinful and and we all mess up all the time and and, and have uh, miscommunications and we can be misunderstood for various reasons. But not Jesus. He was perfect. He was perfect. And he always said the right thing at the right time. And he still was misunderstood. I mean, people, and we're going to see in our text, would blame Jesus, call him all kinds of false names, and they would think that they were right. And so they would misjudge Jesus as they thought they were doing the great deed of exposing him as a fraud. But actually, we will see in our text today that Jesus is the great I am. And as the great I am, we see that Jesus was the one who was misunderstood and that Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse him as he exposes their true hearts that do not hear God's word and see him as the great I am. So let's read our text today in John eight forty-eight through 59. So if you have a Bible or a device, I encourage you to open it, turn it on and follow uh, with us here in John eight forty-eight through 59. And read with me. Again, John 8, 48 through 59. And the the text says this. Right before, Jesus was calling them, telling them that their father was the devil. And he tells them the reason that they, they are not from God. But verse 48 starts. And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So remember, Jesus was perfect and always said the right thing at the right time. And he was still misunderstood. Like our text shows, people would blame Jesus, call him all kinds of false names, and think that they were right. And so they would misjudge Jesus as they thought they were doing this great deed of exposing him as a fraud. But actually, we're gonna see in our text today that Jesus is the great I am. And as the great I am, we see that Jesus was the one who was misunderstood and that Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse him as he exposes their true hearts. That do not hear God's word and see Him as the Great I Am. So, our first point today is that Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse Him. Jesus said, as we looked at last week, He said that the truth will set you free. So, the verses right before our verses today in in um, in uh, I mean, uh, yeah, say this idea that we learned last week that the truth sets you free. And Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world. He was saying things that made them mad. And so they they answered, like we read, it says the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? They're like, aren't you just a crazy man? They're like, aren't we right in saying this? That you are crazy. They called him a Samaritan which is not right. Jesus was from Galilee, and and he was born in Nazareth. So he's kind of from this northern region of Israel today, close to the Sea of Galilee. And they, being self-righteous, are like, man, you're just pretty much a Samaritan, which was wrong. And then they accuse Jesus. They misunderstand Jesus and tell him that he has a demon, like an actual demon. That's what they think is going on. And Jesus has to defend himself. Just imagine the Holy One of God having to say, I don't have a demon. He doesn't even, he shouldn't even have to say that. But Jesus humbly, quietly steps in and says, I do not have a demon. He says, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. That's what the people were doing. They were dishonoring him. The Greco-Roman culture um, and even we see seeds of that today. There was more of a high honor culture. They honored the position. They honored status. A, a lot of times as Americans, we don't honor people. We don't honor the elderly. We don't honor that people who have lived longer than us. We honor the influencers, the young people, the athletes. We honor youth and strength and money, but we don't honor authority. And, and Jesus is calling them out because they were supposed to be a people that actually knew how to honor the right way. And he calls them out and he says, Man, I honor my father. And he's telling them face to face, you are dishonoring me. And then verse 50, he says, yet I do not seek my own glory. So That's interesting, right? We're just saying all glory be to Christ. But Jesus as a human was perfectly human. And in his human state, he wasn't seeking glory. He was 100% human. And he was living in a way where his human life would point all glory to Christ. But they couldn't see it. He says, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he, he's talking about God, the Father, is the judge. And I would even argue he's talking, because he, Jesus, is known as the judge. Jesus is the judge. So he's making them think. He says he, he says there is one who seeks it. And I believe he's talking about the triune God, alluding to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible, if you know the day of the Lord, is um, this day of reckoning, this day of judgment that, that is uh, coming. And so Jesus is actually the judge. I don't know if you know this, but even in Islam, the Quran says that Jesus will come and judge. They believe he's this prophet who will come and judge. So there's, even in other uh, uh, religions, Islam is a a ripoff of Christianity. It came 600 years after it. So Islam is piecemeal together of Judaism and um, Christianity. But even in there, it says in the Quran, it says that Jesus is the judge. So you see, Here we see that Jesus is the judge as the triune God as opposed to what we learned last week, if you remembered, um, uh, uh, this contrast to the father of lies. And who is the father of lies? Satan. They're calling Jesus demonic. But Jesus had just told them, your father is Satan. You and it is this Satan. This Satan in Hebrew means this great adversary. So anything that is against you is of Satan. It's demonic. I think we make it too creepy and too like, it is that, but but Satan comes with things that you like. Beautiful things, beautiful people, beautiful ideas, money, riches, comfort, things that you like. He doesn't come at you with monsters and demons. He may, but he comes at you at, with things that you actually crave and that me as a human crave. He's the father of lies. He's not the father of scaring you, right? He's the father of lies. So he's going to put things in your mind and he wants you to see that he doesn't even want you to know that he's there because as christians we can live our whole life and forget that we're in the spiritual battle and satan is the one who is behind and is all other false gods that we make and that humanity has made, all other religions No matter what it is, even good Christian things or good work things or good family things, those things can become idols and can actually become your God if we're not aware and careful. So again, our first point is, and this is what Jesus is doing to humanity and to the people in our text, the Jewish people in our text, the religious leaders, Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse him because all humanity has done this from creation We've all, because of our own personal sin, have accused Jesus wrongly. And so he is calling us to see him as he truly is, as this great I am. But we struggle, just like the religious leaders in the text, which leads us to our second point. That Jesus exposes people of their true heart. So we're gonna come at Jesus, and we, in our human nature, are gonna ex- we're gonna try to expose him. We're gonna try to ex- um, accuse him. And we may not think that we're doing that. No, not me. I'm a good church going person. I, mean, I don't accuse Jesus. But every time you complain, every time you're like, oh man, what about me? Every time you're like, God, why didn't I get that? Every time you complain, You don't thank God for your daily bread. You're not in the word. You're not living. You're not abiding in Jesus. You're actually accusing him. Every time you fall for one of Satan's big or little lies, those hooks just kind of hook you, and he messes with your brain and tells you lies and things because you're not abiding in Jesus That leads again to our second point. We're accusing God and leads to our second point that Jesus exposes people of their true heart. He has to. Jesus has to expose people of our true hearts. People's true hearts are scared. If we're honest, that's the main problem with most of humanity. Anxiety and mental health is a big deal. It's it's been a big deal for all humanity, right? Remember Cain and Abel? The first thing he does is murder his brother. If that guy doesn't have mental health issues, I don't know who does. So all these things that we're saying, we, we make all these excuses. Yeah, but it's just, I was born this way and all the way. Everybody was born that way. Everybody was born with inclinations to sin and have struggles in the mind because it's a, it's a battle in the mind. And I think what Satan is trying to expose and make uh, our, our culture use as a crutch, like, oh, it's just my mental health, so I can't really abide in Jesus. No, the opposite. We all have issues. And we all, when we admit that, God exposes us and shows us, oh, I'm weaker than I thought I was. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I have issues. I get depressed. I have uh, mental issues. I can't focus. I can't abide. Welcome to the club of humanity. You know, those people that, that are like, I don't have mental health. I'm, I'm good. And I just, they just work and do their thing and, and, and don't deal. They, they're going to blow up, and they have issues too. We all have issues. And Jesus is saying, I know your true hearts. They're weak. They're scared. They're fearful. They're evil. The Bible says we have to know that about ourselves. If we don't, we can't do anything good. Our hearts are mean, right? You ever talk to your family? If you're not married, uh, uh, the joke that is actually true is the same way you talk to your siblings is exactly how you talk to your spouse. Those mean little words and those mean little snarky things is just how you're going to talk to your spouse. The way you talk to your family, those mean things that we say We become twisters of Jesus' words, and it seems hopeless, guys. Let's look now at John 8, verse 45 through 47 to see a little more context and the connection of the text we looked at and ended last week because if we don't, we may not understand what's really going on. And so I pray right now that Jesus' words truly challenge you to consider where you are in your relationship to Christ today. Jesus says in John 8, verse 45 through 47, he says, but, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. You see, Satan is always coming at us to, to like saying, God's not telling the truth. That's what he, how he started in the garden. God didn't really say that, right? But Jesus says in verse 45 of John 8, but because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Most of the times when you tell people the truth, you know what happens? They're not going to believe you. Remember, Jesus was misunderstood. Do you think we're not going to be misunderstood? And and then he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? How can you convict me, Jesus, of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe? Verse 47, he says, for whoever is of, listen to this, whoever is of God hears, not just hears, receives the words of God. And he says this, the reason you do not hear or receive them, the words of God. The reason you, those words of God they bother you, they make you mad, or you're just lazy towards them, you're apathetic towards those words, is that you are not of God. That's scary. And so many of us, just like the religious leaders, just keep rejecting God's obvious truth, which actually gives us true freedom in Christ, but we reject the freedom. And we forget the truth that is, that is in Christ, which is based on his word because we can't or don't want to receive God's word because it comes back to our hearts, guys, just like the guys in our text. We have cold, proud, arrogant hearts, and we have to admit that. Is that not what our culture has done today, that God has certain standards and commands and Our culture has taught us to, our hearts tell us to to reject them because we love, again, the stench of sin more than the sweet aroma of Christ. And as we learned last week, unbelievers are rejectors of the word of God. That's kind of those those last two um, uh, points we looked at last week. And so I want to remind us and encourage you, have you been rejecting God's word? To think about that. Are you misunderstanding Jesus because you have neglected the thing he told you to do? Not just reading it, but being obsessed and meditating over the word of God because it reflects who God is. How have you also observed people around you who are rejecting God's word? Are you among those people? Are you a partaker of people who are just living, rejecting God's word? Be careful because sin is contagious. Now let's, let's look and continue in our text today in John 8, 5, uh, 51 through 53. And we're going to see our second point again that Jesus exposes people of their true heart. He says in 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps, now this is a strong word in the original language in the Greek, it is to guard or to protect. This is the attitude of the God, the one who fears God, who loves his word. Listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my logos, my word! This is how John starts his his argument and, and his point. In the beginning was the Logos, or the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. This Logos was that 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 idea that the Greco-Roman philosophers, even 300 years before Jesus, they had this idea that the Logos was the reason behind everything. He was what made. He was the reason behind all the metaphysical or everything after physical. That's what metaphysical means. After the physical, so. They're like all the supernatural stuff. There's something there. The Greek philosophers knew there was something there. And Jesus says, truly, truly, he's saying, Pay attention. I say to you, if anyone keeps or guides my word, my logos, he will never taste death. Like you will not die. And the Jews said to him, Oh my gosh, they're like, This guy's crazy. They said, Now we know you have a demon. What do you mean we won't die? Then they go off, Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. They're misunderstanding Jesus. They're so confused. And they say, are you greater than our father Abraham? Remember, Abraham was the one, uh, he's known as the father of um, the Israelites. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then you'd get the the 12 tribes from Jacob. And so um, Abraham was the first Jew. And so um, in that idea, that's what they're talking about. And they just can't get it. They're like, the prophets died. And they're like, who do you make yourself out to be, man? They can't understand Jesus. They can't see who he is. You see, their identity was in their personal ancestry. Their identity in, was in their um, ethnicity. Their a- identity was not in Jesus, but in their true father, Satan. Satan. This was what Jesus had alluded, had just said in the chapter before. You, you are of the father of lies. Uh, your father is Satan. And they couldn't see it. You see, because of their faulty, evil hearts, they misunderstood Jesus. Jesus, who was actually and accurately communicating perfect truth. Now, this is what happens to us sometimes. Jesus, his word is very clear. But we are very, pardon my French, dumb, okay? We're not smart. We think we're smart, but we're bucket heads. We come to God's word. We can't understand it. We're like, I don't know what it says. So what happens, we're like, ah, I'm just going to watch TV, right? Or I, 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 you haven't been, maybe sometimes I've done this. You haven't been abiding in Jesus. You haven't been studying. Nobody said you have to be a, a theological scholar to understand the word of God. You just have to be a hungry child of God. And you have to come to God's word desperate, and He will open your mind, and you'll be able to understand His word. There's a theological concept called the perspicuity of Scripture. It's a weird word, it just means the clarity of Scripture, that Scripture is actually simpler than we think it is. But we spend time learning about American history, world history. We learn about, uh, I don't know, all these things, Pokemon, this thing, that thing, well, this movie, uh, yeah, have you seen this thing? Oh, this new thing on TikTok, sports, I love sports. I'm guilty of that. Um, All these things, all these other knowledges, and we forget the word of God. And so this proves our second point. That Jesus exposes, he has to, but he exposes people of their true heart. Because seeing our true hearts should allow us to see our sin, guys. And allow us to see Jesus' wonderful redemption on the cross. That is the whole point from creation. Jesus made everything. God was there. The spirit was there. And everything was made good. And from the deception of the adversary, this father of lies, Satan, from the beginning... He started telling this story to humanity, and Adam and Eve fell for it, and you and I fell for it because there is this stinky, disgusting sin in us. And when we don't admit that, we can't know Jesus. This is the basic Christian num- uh, uh, Christianity 101: to know creation, to know our Creator, to know He is the Great I Am, and to know that you're not, and that you fell just like Adam and Eve. You would do the same thing. The grossest things that people have done, and this may you're not you're like not me. I would say, yes, you, and yes, me. You are capable of, because you are human. The only reason you haven't done gross, disgusting, some other things is because God, because God the Father has control over the world. He's sovereign, he is good, and he has blessed some of us, not because you're any better. It's actually because you're worse. I actually think Christians are the worst people, and that's the point. That's a philosophical thing if you see yourself as worse, as capable, and I say this humbly, but we're as capable as Adolf Hitler. You're no better than him. You're equal, but God. But the great I am came to expose you of your true heart so that you would see the redemption of Christ, that you would see what he did, and you would see yourself as like, whoa, only by the grace of God. This is true salvation. If there's any, No, no, God, I'm better than Hitler. I'm better than that person. You may not be saved. You may be just like the Pharisees in the text because we're proud and and, and we don't want to admit that we're wrong or that we're weak or that we're sinful. And so all the things that have happened to us, hard times, hard relationships, broken relationships, our own sin and you just keep failing, God is using all that to say, do you not see me as the great I am? He's exposing your heart. He's showing you the sin that is in there to help you see the wonderful redemption of Jesus, the one who came and lived a perfect life. This great I am who was misunderstood, who said everything perfectly, even as a three-year-old, a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 13-year-old. I mean, just Jesus saying everything in life perfectly. Then he's a man. He still says everything perfectly and people don't understand him. They call him a demon. Some of you haven't even been called that. I remember one time, uh, um, in a situation where where, where someone called me um, something like that, and I know they were wrong. These things happen, but Jesus, He came and He lived this perfect life, and He died. And he took on the wrath or the anger of God. This, this weird word in Greek that Paul and John used, propitiation. He became an actual um, sacrifice for sin, but not just any kind of sacrifice. A sacrifice that Paul uses that word and John uses that word. It was a Greco-Roman word. This word means that just like in the Greco-Roman culture, let's take the, the, the god of the sea, Poseidon. If people were on a boat and the seas were going crazy... The, the culture would have to appease that god. Like, he's angry. You've probably seen this in maybe Odysseus and some of these stories, these Greco-Roman stories that you've heard, Hercules, stuff like that. Hercules was a demigod, and so they would have to appease Zeus, the god of, of, of I don't I forget what, he's like the god of everything. But, 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 like, say a god like Poseidon, they would have to make some kind of sacrifices on the boat and then that would appease the anger of that God. So John and Paul understood this, and they used this word to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus. That it was actually this perfect sacrifice that came, and it took on the wrath of the anger of God. Because of our evil hearts, God has anger. You may be like, that's not just, but it is. The whole point of this, of your life, is to show you who you really are. It's to show me who I really am. And this propitiation, this perfect sacrifice that took on the anger of God because God has anger just like you do. God has perfect anger. Just like if someone was to slap you across the face, you'd be like, watch out, man. That that anger would start. That's not bad. That's actual normal human anger. The Rangers game a few days, some guys got in a fight. Men, grown men, getting in a fight. Why? You slap me, I'm, I'm gonna get angry. Or you slap someone in my family, you get angry, right? So that anger, that's just the beginning of the seeds. Now, as humans, we can't hold perfect anger, but God does. And in that, we see the beauty of the cross, that Jesus took on the wrath of God. He took all of it on, and he died. And then he rose again, and he continued, and the the Bible says he walked the earth. He exposed himself to probably over 500 people, and those people then would be the ones who would build the church. And and in all their sin and all their mess, the church would be built. And Jesus said that he is coming back. He is this judge who's going to come back and make everything right, all the wars, all the pain, all the brokenness, all your tears. If you really know God, all the hard things you've been through, God is in the work of redeeming, which is connected to our third point, that in this gospel story, Jesus exposes people who don't hear God's word. Let's look at verse 54. Jesus answered again as a human. He's saying this. If I glorify myself as a human, he wasn't looking to glorify himself. That should humble us, right? How much glory do we try to seek as humans? Jesus says, as a human, he says, I glorify, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. In his humanity, Jesus is saying, my glory is not worth much. It is my Father who glorifies me. It was the Father who was putting the stamp on Jesus' humanity. He says, of whom you say he is our God. This one that you are trying to claim is your God, you, he says, "But in verse 35, but you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar. And you think Jesus is not rude here. He's being honest like you. Remember, he just said, Jesus can't lie. God can't lie. I I referenced it last week, but the Quran says that Allah is the chief of all liars. He's the highest liar. Islam is telling us who uh, their God is. Their God is Satan. Same with the Mormons. Same with any other religion, in any other ideology you may have that's not of God, is of Satan, the adversary, the father of lies. Jesus can't lie, but Satan is this adversary, this liar. And Jesus, and, and Jesus continues, I, if, if I do not, Jesus says, if I were to say, in verse 55, that I do not know him, God, I would be a liar like you. Jesus can't lie. He says, but I do know him. And look what Jesus says. And I keep or guard or protect the idea of meditating, knowing his word. It's so important. If you've been here for our John series, the theme throughout this John is Jesus is the Logos, and how do we abide in him, how do we live in him is by keeping his word. It's not just a book. This is just a book, okay? But the words that are represented here are The power in your life through the Holy Spirit. They are God's words. And if you don't know them, if you don't crave them more than the things of the world, our church will be weak. Your lives will be weak. And you won't have life. You will be living as a dead man. That's what Jesus had said earlier. And, it, and, and just think about it. If Jesus kept God's word, if Jesus said, I kept, I protected, I woke up, I thought about it, I craved it, I desired, because Jesus was actually human just like you and me. He wasn't a Hercules. He was actually human when he was here. He was fully human. And he was God. But he laid that down, the Bible says, when he came to earth. And he became fully human. So he was tempted just like you and me to just keep sleeping To just be lazy, to just turn on the TV and not have a discipline of being in God's word and craving God's word and loving the word of God. What what do we have as the word of God? We have the written word of God. This is our test. This is what he gave us. Not like the Jews, because in John 5, he told the religious leaders, you search the scriptures. So they were studying and searching the scriptures, but they couldn't see Jesus. That's a litmus test to know. When I read the Bible, do I, just, do I just have this foggy brain? You are probably not abiding or you may not be saved. Jesus is saying, if you can't receive my word, if you can't actually receive it, you're not my child. You don't know me. And this is not to discourage you. This is to encourage you. It doesn't mean you have to be know everything. But there are some things that should start coming to your mind clearly as you study God's word. And again, if Jesus kept God's word, how much more should we guys We must keep, protect, guard. This is what this word in in Greek means. It just says keep. Keep seems like a weird word. Guard, protect our minds and our hearts by the word of God, which actually transforms our hearts and minds. Listen to what the apostle Paul says about having transformed minds. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your physical bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the idea of we talk about our ultimate mission. It's out there. It's on our website that you would love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. That is what it means for you to abide in Jesus, to understand and live out the gospel, and to be living as an acceptable, holy sacrifice to God. And then it says, Paul says, if you do that, it's holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you sacrifice your body, when you give up of the things of the world, when you lose your life to find it, like Jesus says, then you live. And you're actually spiritually worshiping God. We're always like, oh, yeah, but going to church doesn't mean I'm worshiping God, doing these things, reading my Bible. Yes, it does. (laughs) You're you're giving of your body, giving, living as a sacrifice. Those things are your spiritual worship. Because if you really love God, you're going to do his works. The next verse in Romans 1 and two says, be a living sacrifice, a sacrifice, holy and acceptable of God, which is spiritual worship. He says, then do not be conformed to this world. Don't love the world. Don't crave the things of the world, but be transformed. How? How do you transform your mind? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the renewal of your mind. It's a spiritual battle. Satan is after your mind. He's the father of lies. He wants to trick you and deceive you, not with creepy things and goblins and monsters, maybe when you're a kid, but as you get older, he's deceiving you with good things. He's deceiving you with all kinds of trappings. Chase this thing. Chase that thing. Be lazy here. Don't be disciplined. You don't need the church. You don't need to serve. You don't need this thing. You don't need this thing of God. You don't need God's word. You need need to do you. Just do you. Come on, it's about you have mental health issues. You have this thing going on. It's about you. It's about you. We all have issues. We all have problems. That's the point. Actually, in our culture, these things are getting revealed, that we are weak, that we are not strong. And God is saying, look at me, the great I am. I'm the remedy. I'm the remedy. Look what Paul says. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a daily thing. That by testing evil spirits, the same thing John talks about in 1 John, that by testing, if you're renewing your mind, then you can test those thoughts. The darts of Satan that come, nope, that's not of God. Nope, that's not of God. I don't know about that. I got to pray and think about that. And when you're fighting, right, then it says, then you may discern what is the will of God. The Bible tells you can know God's will. Be, oh, we can't know God. Yeah, there is a secret will of God. We can't understand all the details. But for your personal life, you can, God has made it very clear what you're supposed to do. And I believe even those details, where am, who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do today? God will reveal those things. We can actually discern God's will for our lives. How? And we can know his ultimate will and purpose for us. By renewing our minds and transforming our, um, our, our renewing our, our minds and transforming our, our, our hearts and minds, we can know what, what God has given us to do. We can know who is the one that God has given to us to do this. We can actually know Jesus. You can actually know Jesus, who is our wonderful, precious, strong, all knowing God, the Word, the Logos, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who's a, who allows us to understand the Father's will by the Word of God. You can know this Jesus. You can know Jesus, who is the living Word and allows us to understand the Father and have access to the Holy Spirit. And then through his written Word, God's words that are breathed out by God, we can know the gospel which is the proclaimed word, which transforms hearts and minds. And so we must love, y'all, love and keep God's word. It it means that we really love him when you keep his word. If you love God's word, you love him. That's the the first point of the whole uh, great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's how we love other people, by having his true love in us. And so we must remember, as our text taught us last week and this week, that unbelievers are rejectors of the word of God. And so we cannot be rejecting and not receiving or hearing God's word as children of God. So have you been rejecting God's word? Have you been around people who reject God's word and that's all you see and all you hear and it's affecting you? Again, don't fall into the traps or the laziness of the world You are called to love Jesus. The Logos, the living word. Love the scriptures, the written word, which point to him and his gospel. This true gospel, the the proclaimed word, because it will actually set you free. It's what Jesus talked about in the text last week. And if you are struggling here, man, just read God's word. God's wonderful word. He left us in the Bible. This was not made by man. It was brought together by God in a supernatural way. Using man but bringing the scriptures together in a supernatural way through the Holy Spirit's power. And if you're like, man, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do, read the Gospel of John. That's why we do it the way we're doing it at Redeemer. In our groups, we're gonna go over the, the text we've been talking about. I used to be an a, a education pastor at some different churches. We had so many studies and so many things. And even as a pastor, I, don't, I was like, I don't know what we're talking about in the church. This Sunday is cool. that Sunday is cool. this class, There's like 30 sermons going on at one time. Let's read God's Word together. Read the Gospel of John if you're struggling. I don't know, like I don't know what to do, I'm not really in God's Word. Just start reading. Start from chapter one. Read the chapter that we send you an email every week that shows you the text. It's only like 11 verses. Uh, read it, read it every day. Lay, read a chapter a day. find a, a, the Psalms or the Proverbs and just read a chapter every day. You see, we're, we're going over the Gospel of John now and so Man, just slow down and just enjoy God's word and just read it over and over and over. And again, like I shared last week, I want to share this little acronym that's going to help, I think, reading God's written word, which allows us to see Jesus the living word and know the gospel, his proclaimed word. So the acronym is SOAP. So think of being washed by the word as the epistle to the Ephesians says in Ephesians five twenty-five to 27. I'm going to read it here in a second and we'll go over the acronym. But I pray these words from Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. I pray that they minister you to see the great I am and how he was misunderstood and to see him and the importance of God's word for the church and, and that, the, that what Paul the apostle says to the Ephesians. So listen to this. Says, he says, speaking of husbands and wives and this metaphor that the church is the bride of Christ. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her or make her holy that's what a saint is or this idea of sanctifying that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so it's this metaphor that when we're in the word like we're getting washed we're getting cleaned our minds so that he might present the church to himself in splendor this is what God is saying without spot or a wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish god wants you to be holy it's not that you you are in that in of yourselves but as you grow you can actually be cleansed by the word so we're cleansed by the word in the past, in our justification. That means that we're saved from our past sin. You're made righteous or just in Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says, as God's precious word, God's precious word, it continues. It saves us every day. It sanctifies us. You're not getting re-saved. You're just becoming more holy. You're becoming more like Christ. This is what many people in the church don't understand. They get stuck on justification. I said a prayer when I was small. I think I was saved. I don't know. Jesus says, Great. Are you, do you believe in him now? Are you walking in repentance and belief now? Are you being made holy or sanctified now? That's what God's word does. It saves us initially. It brings us to realization and it allows us to make it every day. It makes us holy every day. We are made more holy in the present in sanctification, so there's three aspects of salvation: justification, being made saved in the past, being continually saved. The Bible says all these. You're being continually saved and being sanctified, and you will be fully saved or glorified when Christ comes back or when you die. This is the idea of glorification. This is the power of the word which will also be fully realized in the future in glorification when the church's utter, like we just read, the church's utter holiness and moral perfection will be consummated in, in, in resurrection glory. But it starts with today. Yes, we're saved in the past and we will be fully saved, but God has called us to live now in this sanctification, in this being holy every day. It, 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 if you are saved, you're not. Uh, works don't save you, but if you're really saved, you will work. Because you love God. That's what the scriptures say. So when you open the scriptures to read them, this is the main thing. To to do what? To learn about God. And not just learn or have knowledge, but to meditate on the scriptures. To think. Not, not the uh, Eastern uh, meditation that's just like saying, hmm, not that. Meditation is this idea of thinking deeply, pondering, we could say in English. Like to really deeply think on the scriptures. And so when you come to the scriptures, I mean always, every single time, stop and pray for God to illuminate your mind. That's what we don't do. We're just like, oh, I was going to read the Bible. And we're like, you haven't stopped and said, Lord, help me pray. Help me understand this word that I'm coming to right now. This is one of the main reasons we don't or can't understand the scripture because we don't start our reading with prayer. So God's word is crucial and we must meditate on it every day. That means to deeply think and process it. So if we are not doing this every day, every single day, something is wrong with your walk. Crazy wrong. Satan has got you, he's tricked you, and it's wrong. Your walk is, you're either grieving the spirit or you may not even be a believer. If you're not feasting, how do you live life if you're not eating food, right? If you're not in the word of God, Something is wrong. So, so I want to encourage you with this acronym, SOAP, okay? I'm not going to, I call it PUSOAP, but you pray at the beginning, okay? So you always pray. That's just a given. If I come to God's word, I'm going to pray. SOAP is this acronym. Um, for S for scripture, O for observe, A for application, and then P for prayer again. So it's a prayer sandwich, but we're just going to say SOAP. So when you come to the scripture, read it. Disabset yourself. Set some time to just read it. Soak it. I like to do it in the morning. I, 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 the first thing I do is try to pray, is wake up and pray and then try to grab my Bible and read God's word. And I, I do it from my bed, from the comfort of my bed because it's cozy and it feels like God's hugging me. And I just read it and I just stay there. I set my alarm extra so I'm like strangling and, and hitting the thing. Like I'm, I got th- 30 minutes where I'm just gonna be in this comfy bed and read God's word and start. If that's, you start with a verse, start with, with a chapter, and then what we do as a family is we get up, and then we start getting ready. But before we leave the house, we all come together, and we, we read a chapter of Scripture. We make that time because it's important. I want my kids to know, like, man, my life is based on the Word of God. It's not what Israel says or all these churchy things. It's the, the Word of God, and I want them to see that. That's how I start the day. And then what does that do? That starts your day meditating. You have this dance with the word of God all day. You're like, oh yeah, said this, said that. That was weird. I I was talking to my wife about something weird. I read in Jeremiah the other day. It was weird. There's some weird stuff in the Bible. I'm not even gonna mention it now because it's not appropriate. And it's in the Bible, okay? There's some weird stuff. You're like, whoa, that's weird. Read the scripture. Meditate on it over and over and over. Slow down sometimes. You just need to wrestle with a verse. Wrestle with two verses. Slow down, read it. Then what do you do? You... Ask scripture, okay? You got to be in the scriptures. Uh, I would say forget those Bible studies and those, those, what are they called? Those devotionals. Those are fine, but if you're not reading the Word of God, forget the devotional. Devotional is to supplement the Word of God. Start with the Word of God. Be hungry for the Word of God. Know it. Then, then you observe. When you observe, you, you're at look, your spirit, help me see. What's the grammar here? You're like, I hate grammar. Maybe there's something you need to sharpen up on so you can learn to read. Like, what are, what's going on here? Who's, who are the characters here? What is, what is the word, holy? What does this mean? Justification, sanctification, uh, glory. Like, Jesus is, I don't, is Jesus human? Is he God? You start observing and, and wrestling with the truth. And what happens when you start observing the scriptures is you're gonna start pulling out, you're gonna pray, not your own principles, but what are the principles, those are the, the principles or the truths that are in the scripture. And when you start doing that, then you have something to do. You've spent time reading. You've observed the text. You've spent time. I would say you can even take out a pencil and write things down, circle things, look at the text. What is it saying? What is it doing? Look at other translations. If If you know another language, look at another language translation. But even if you don't do any of that, observe with your mind. Just open it and just look at it. And then apply it. So after you've done doing this, this can take five minutes, it can take 30 minutes, it can take an hour. After you've done that, apply it. Say, ask the spirit, ask God to apply this to your life. Sometimes we try to apply on our own. No, ask God, God, how do, what do I do? Because this is true. Because it says you're the great I am and Satan is a liar and, and he deceives me. What do I do? How can I see you as the great I am? I, I have no clue. Pray, ask him. Ask how he will change you and change your mind to be obedient to what his word is calling you to do. And then the real secret sauce of the whole thing is just pray again. Pray to be to our holy God, to change your mind, your body, your heart, to apply what you learned as you internalize and meditate and practice what you learned. I say your mind and and your body because I know it's literally our body. That's the main physical and the spiritual are connected, and we're lazy. Right, we like to eat certain way. We like to do certain things, and God is saying, "Nope, you need to be a disciplined man or woman. You need to stop. You need to wake up earlier, probably. You need to stop going to sleep so late. Stop messing around with this thing or that thing." We have time. We are not busy people. Covid proved to you that your life is not busy. That you can just sit at home all day and the world keeps going. And that should humble you, and it should say, and it should have humbled me to be like, "What is my purpose?" We make up all, oh, I'm busy, I'm working, doing, no, you're not. Just, just, we just make up work. That's, that's how it works. We, we make up companies, and nobody really needs your, there's a few companies that are necessary. Most of them aren't. But God has called us to be his children and to be in his church. And so remember that acronym. If you're struggling, man, I'm pointing you to the word of God. Just remember that little soap thing. Scripture, observe, apply, and Pray. And so our third point is that Jesus exposes people who don't hear God's word because those who don't receive and keep God's word can't know him as the great I am. And this leads us to our final point. We're going to end here. That Jesus exposes people who don't see him as the great I am. You see, he says in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced. Abraham saw Jesus. Abraham rejoiced. This is what Jesus says as he raises from the dead. He says, He said, They knew about me in the Old Testament says, your father Abraham rejoice. That's what he's saying, rejoice. And we're going to sing again, rejoice in loss, which is this idea of what Jesus says. Man, as I'm being exposed, things need to die. And I need to rejoice in the loss of those worldly things. This is what Jesus says. Um, Whoever will follow me must lose his life for my sake. So that means some things that we have in our life, they need to go. Some habits, um, things you're watching, things you're seeing, things you're doing. It's not to be a legalist. Remember, we're supposed to be ones who love the commandments of God. And God is calling us to always refine ourselves. It's not legalism. It's the opposite. It's freedom. Jesus just talked about that earlier. He says true freedom is this living, giving your life to Jesus and losing things. So it says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Abraham, in this idea, he knew that the Messiah was coming. And I would even argue that the, 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 Jesus manifested himself to Abraham um, Um, at certain times we don't have time for that right now but um, in verse 57 he says so the jews said to him they're confused again they're misunderstanding jesus what you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen abraham did you go back and are you a time traveler verse 58 jesus said to them truly truly he said pay attention i say to you before abraham was is when he's saying he's god i am that's that word in greek again and so they, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So they, they totally misunderstood Jesus. Again, this Greek word used is the same word used um, in, in this other translation of the Bible, the Septuagint, which is this Greek translation of the Hebrew. It's the same word John uses, I am. And this is very significant because we're going to see that, again, Jesus keeps saying this. This is a big theme in John. There's all these statements that he says, and this goes back, again, to uh, Abraham and to to Moses when God revealed himself in Exodus 3.14, where God says, declaring his name, his personal name to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So Jesus really made them mad because they wanted to kill him with stones because he said, I am that I am. I am the great I am. Again, in our text, Jesus adds this idea of Abraham, that Abraham physically um, um, understood this idea, that, that, he, that he understood um, Abraham, again, was the, the physical father of uh, or the ancestor of the Jews. And so obviously that was true. But more and likely, um, uh, this idea it, that, that Jesus is referring to is Genesis 12, where God says that he will bless all nations All people through Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants. So thus in Judaism, again, I am is unquestionably understood for the name of God. And so Jesus declared himself as the great I am. And so our final point is clear, that Jesus exposes people who don't see him as the greater I am. Why? Because he is writing this ultimate redeeming story that glorifies the Father and gives us ultimate purpose. To know God the Father through the Spirit and Jesus as the living word, and to know his written word and the proclaimed word, the gospel, to live out our ultimate mission is what God is calling us to, of loving him, uh, loving people, and making disciples of all nations for God's glory. And so today we've learned that Jesus is the great I am. We've learned that Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse him as he exposes their true hearts um, that do not hear God's word and see him as the great I am. So in review, Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse him. Why? Because all humanity has done this from creation to our own personal sin. So he is calling us to see him as he truly is, as the great I am. Secondly, we learn that Jesus exposes people of their true heart because seeing our true hearts should allow us to see our sin and Jesus' wonderful redemption on the cross. And Jesus exposes people who don't hear God's word because those who don't receive and keep God's word can't know him as the great I. Am and we see that Jesus in our final point exposes people who don't see him as the great I am because he is writing this ultimate redeeming story that glorifies the father and gives us his children ultimate purpose so we can't not misunderstand our king Jesus the great I am He's accomplished his mission and has given us a mission to live for him by loving people, uh, uh, loving God, loving people, and making disciples of all nations for God's glory. That is your purpose. If you just do that, you will be okay. You will start to crave the word of God. If you you say, God, I just want to love you, you're going to love his word. And so let's worship and honor Jesus today, unlike the, the people in our text Let's worship and honor Jesus, the great I am. And Let's remember that Jesus exposes people who wrongly accuse him as he exposes their true hearts and our true hearts. And so he has exposed our hearts. He's been merciful. He is merciful to save us and to allow us to see him as the great redeeming, uh, uh, the, the great one, the great I am. So let's hear and receive God's word today and see him as the great I am. Let's pray and worship now. Dear Lord, you are good and you are wonderful. And Lord, you've called us to see you Lord, as the great I am, and Lord, in all our insecurity and all our pride and all our brokenness and all our sadness and all the good times and all the things, Lord, may we put those things aside and see who you really are, Lord. Those things can be good, some of those things, and some of them we know are, are, are lies from the father of lies, but Lord, we come to you now humbly asking you to change us. To rejoice in loss, in the things that, Lord, we know that you are calling us to live. in rejoicing in you, just like Abraham did, we come now to worship you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.